Today's reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you ever have those moments that you look back on and just think to yourself, why on earth did I do that? Why on earth did I say that? Maybe it's giving notices at the front of church. <laughs> you know, those times where you look back at them and you just kind of wish the earth would swallow you up. You know, one of those moments when, when you turn around and you find out that your teacher has been stood behind you that whole time. Or where you've had a conversation with someone for 20 minutes and you've been calling them Lydia, but actually they're Rachel or vice versa. Or, you know, you broke your leg putting a traffic cone on a statue and went to A&E and everyone looked at you funny because they realized how silly you were. Once at church, I drank a fair amount of the vinegar from a jar of red cabbage in order to try and impress a woman who is now my wife. I, I really would not recommend that and I don't think that's the reason why she's now my wife. But what's the most foolish thing that you've ever done? Why don't you take a minute to chat to the person next to you? Now, if the most foolish thing is just too foolish... Maybe come up with something slightly, you know, bring the to- something a bit less foolish because that might be too embarrassing. But why don't you just take a moment just to chat to your neighbor about one of the foolish things that you've done. Friends, I'm going to call that to an end. I hope that's been enough time for you all to be thoroughly embarrassed. Um, it's good from time to time. I hope, I hope that's been cathartic. Um, out of curiosity, did any of you say becoming a Christian? Well, if you did... Give yourselves a pat on the back. Um, The clue may have been in the reading, to be fair. Because our passage today says that the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection to die for our sins, is foolishness. In fact, we get it five times in our passage. Foolishness, foolish, foolishness, foolishness, foolishness. Friends, we're going to share in the Lord's Supper together later, Holy Communion. How foolish is that? This is my body. Do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. Feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. If that sounds weird to you, it sounded weird 2,000 years ago as well. Romans thought that Christians were cannibals. Foolishness. Our passage today builds on what we heard last week. It starts with four. Paul the Apostle has just said, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. 
For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Do you see what Paul the Apostle is doing here? Last week we saw how he condemned the tribes within the church. They were using human reasoning to create divisions among themselves. Divisions that shouldn't exist. Why? Well, precisely because the message of the cross transcends those human divisions. In fact, the very power of the message of the cross comes from the fact that it does not contain one iota, one scintilla, one atom of human wisdom. Paul says, as soon as you start to mix human wisdom into the message of the cross, it becomes emptied of its power. Putting a teaspoon of salt into your cup of tea might look the same, but trust me, it tastes very, very different. As soon as you stir a teaspoon of human wisdom into the gospel, you end up with a very sour message. In case this point needs hammering home further, Paul then asks a rhetorical question. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Where are they? Answer, nowhere. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Paul says you're you're all arguing about what's wise and clever, who's the best thinker and leader, and you're using all these worldly measurements, all these worldly ways of thinking to get your answer. You're weighing up church leaders like you'd weigh up football players or composers or philosophers. You're weighing up the truth like you're deciding which takeaway to eat, sweet and sour this week or tikka masala. Always sweet and sour, by the way. Did any of those football players or composers or philosophers, did they ever bring salvation, Paul says? Did you weighing up which lecturer to listen to or which political party to support or, or which manager should lead your football team ever bring you salvation? The wisdom of the world couldn't bring salvation. The, the wisdom of the world can't even comprehend or understand salvation. It's foolishness. It's the foolishness of the gospel that ultimately brings the salvation. It's the topsy-turvy world of the gospel where the first are last and the last are first, where the proud are brought low and the humble are exalted, where someone born in a stable is exalted as king forever, where death on a cross brings new and eternal life. That is where salvation is found. Verses 22 and 24 of our passage say, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power and wisdom of God. Here is the gospel. Paul lays it out for us. The crucified and glorified Jesus Christ, the power and wisdom of God. Our only hope in life and death. The one who lived to point us back to our creator and who died to take away the judgment that we deserve and all the bad things we've done. All the ways that we have followed worldly wisdom instead of godly wisdom. 
And it's believing and trusting in Jesus that brings us back into that relationship with our Father. All we need to do is trust him. He has done it all. Paul points out that this message is ridiculous to the world in so many ways. We already saw it. Pete showed us. As a Jew himself, he points out that the Jews were demanding more signs. Where is this great king? Where's his army? Why is he not destroying the Romans? Writing to the Greeks, it was the Greeks reading it, he points out that they're looking for philosophical arguments to prove it. You know, they're the people of Plato and Aristotle and Pythagoras. Where's the complicated formula that 99% of people can't understand that proves that Jesus brings salvation? Both of these groups, in different ways, are tempted to ridicule and scorn the gospel. Both, in different ways, are tempted to mix in worldly wisdom to the gospel And so compromise it. But Paul is saying that the very beauty of the gospel is that in it, it transcends all of those ethnic, cultural, class, political, philosophical, national divisions. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever your past, however clever or foolish you might be, everyone is offered the same salvation in Jesus. And this message, this good news, is inherently uniting Because by transcending all of the worldly divisions, it brings unity out of that division. Instead of our status being in those worldly things that we have grown up with, that we cling to, whether it is as it was then, signs or philosophy, or whether it is more likely now our culture, our heritage, our class, or whatever modern equivalents we have, our status in the gospel is that we are all united bound in Jesus as sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. We don't earn our salvation or work for it. We don't earn our worth and our acceptability by looking for it in different places. It is in Jesus. He is God's wisdom and power, and in him we are saved and united. One church, one body, one family, one household, all under one head and king, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Ephesians 4 puts it like this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So what grounds have we for boasting? What reason have we, what possible reason would we have to divide among ourselves? Why would we split into tribes following this way or that, this person or that person, this idea or that idea? Paul says there's only one reason we would do that. There's only one explanation for why we would do that. And that's because every tribe you join, every faction you see is there because of human wisdom. It's there because of worldly wisdom. It's because of the human and the worldly wisdom, it has entered the church and it's come crashing up against godly wisdom. Every division is there because worldly wisdom is mixing with like salt in your tea and diluting the power of the gospel. And ultimately, it can only ever cause divisions, only ever cause trouble, no matter how attractive it might seem. Why? 
Because, as Paul says, ultimately the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. It's verse 25. And so, even when something we think is really wise is human and we add that in, it's ultimately going to be far worse than even what we think is the most foolish of God's things. And of course God's stuff is, of course God's weakness is stronger. Of course it is. The creator of the universe, he is the one who is unchanging and everlasting. The one who guides and oversees all of time. Of course, God is so much cleverer, so much wiser, so much more understanding than us. Of course, even his so-called foolishness is wiser than our greatest wisdom. But friends, how often do we actually live like we accept that? Or how often do we say, God, I'm with you so much of the way. But in this area here, actually, I think your word is foolish. So I'm just going to ignore it or maybe pretend that it isn't there or pretend that you mean something different from what you say. God, thank you for saving me, even though I'm a sinner and and don't deserve it. But actually, that person over there really winds me up the wrong way. And even when we are brothers and sisters in Christ and we come to church together and we share in communion together... I just don't want to talk to them. I'm not going to treat them like a brother or sister. Or another way of putting it is, how often do we say, God, I believe in you, but actually I believe in my own worldly wisdom more. I know I do it all the time. Why don't we just take a moment to to think to ourselves about the times and the places where we do that, where we say, God, I believe in you, but in this area of my life, in this thing, I believe in my own worldly wisdom more. But you know, the truth is that there is a big divide in our passage. There's a big divide between two opposite groups. But the divide isn't between two groups of Christians. It's between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world, as we've seen. The wisdom of the world crashes against the wisdom of God, unable to understand it, considering it ridiculous. The wisdom of the world looks with scorn upon the wisdom of the God, meeting it just as the authorities met Jesus, with confusion, opposition, contempt. We've already seen how if two groups of Christians are arguing, it's because the wisdom of the world is mixed up in there somewhere, like a blockage in your central heating system, preventing the smooth flow and unity of godly wisdom amongst God's people. That's where the church tribes stem from. But we see the big divide too when Christians face opposition or persecution from the world. If you're a Christian here today, have you experienced that in your life? Perhaps you've been shouted at or mocked for being a Christian, whether by people you don't know, strangers, or or even by flatmates or friends or even family. If you've experienced that, then then you've experienced that clash, the clash between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. The ridicule or opposition you faced is the visible representation of what Paul is talking about here. Worldly wisdom mocks and scorns the wisdom of God, seeing the gospel and its messengers as foolish. But as we close, there's comfort in our passage too. Because God's wisdom will prevail. The world may mock and scorn God's truth, seeing only foolishness in it. But it's ultimately worldly wisdom that is foolish. 
its foolishness will be shown when, as it says in verse 19, God frustrates and destroys it. Because the ultimate trajectory of worldly wisdom and godly wisdom is that one will overcome the other. On the last day, it is God's wisdom that will be shown to be true. And worldly wisdom will be shown as the foolishness it really is. Because we see, don't we, we see worldly wisdom comes and goes. A hero one moment is a villain the next. A villain one moment becomes a hero when looked back on. We see how mortal humanity, mortal wisdom, which comes from mortal humanity, dies just like mortal humanity does. What was right becomes wrong. What was wrong becomes right. Divisions and arguments, they come, they seem like the most important thing in the world, and then they go, never to be heard of again. But the word of God stands forever. As the old hymn says, we blossom and flourish as leaves on the tree and wither and perish, but naught changeth thee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you that you offer us salvation freely, graciously, lovingly. That in Jesus' death and resurrection, we have forgiveness and we have life. Thank you that your gospel of the world, bringing unity around your Son and Savior, your gospel transcends all the divisions in the world and that is the real place of wisdom and power. We're sorry for when we think your wisdom is foolish, when we would rather go our own way and follow worldly wisdom instead. Please help us to live in unity with one another, to see the foolishness of the world for what it really is, and to hold to your eternal truth when we are tempted to turn away. And we ask these things in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.